So after Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east, they came to Jerusalem. They came and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have come. We have seen a star rise in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And after he had gathered together all the people's chief priests and their teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. Just as the prophet had written, you, Bethlehem, and Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because a king will come from you, and he will be the shepherd of his people. So Herod gathered the, the Magi to him secretly, and he pressed them. He pressed them, and he grilled them. When was it that you saw this star? When did this star appear to you? And then he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go, go to Bethlehem. And search diligently for this child. And when you see him, as soon as you see him, come and report back to, back to me. Because I too want to worship him. And I always imagine him stroking his curly beard when he says this. Sorry, curly beards are cool. I mean, curly beards are cool. <laughs> So the Magi, they went on their way. They went on their way and they followed this star. And when it stopped over the place of the child, that's where Jesus was. And they were amazed at this. They said that they, when they saw the star where it stopped, they rejoiced with great joy. I think there's, in Greek, there's like four words for joy all lined up right there. They were celebrating. They were amazed and overjoyed that they had found the place of this newborn king. They said upon coming into the house, they saw the child there with his mother Mary. They said they fell to their knees. They fell to their knees and they bowed low and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And after a dream, after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their own land by a different route. So we hear this story again about the Magi coming from the east, looking for this great king. As it reminds me of that on Christmas Eve, one of the traditions that we are building with our family is we watch the nativity. It was a movie made in 2006, and it weaves together the stories of, of Mary and Joseph, of these three magi, and of Herod and his family, all centered around the birth of Jesus. And, you know, the, there's not much about the magi in the Gospels. We don't know much about them. Most of what, like, you know, three is even a, as a guess because there's three gifts. But in this movie, they, they, they fill out the story a bit using a little bit of creative license. And they, they tell the story of these three magi and what it must have been like. As they were looking at the stars in heaven trying to figure out what was happening in the world. And they see these, I think it's two planets, I think it's Venus and Jupiter that are coming together like they've never had before. And they're realizing that a king is going to be born. And so they pull out all these scrolls and they find it where it's written in, in the Hebrew scrolls. They find where it says that a star will come from Judah. And they realize they have to go back. They have to go to Judea to find this great king. Well, the, the lead magi, his name is Melchior, at least in the movie. Um, and 
And he starts gathering up his scrolls. Well, the other magi, they're not so interested. As soon as he starts gathering up his scrolls, the other magi start making excuses. How are we going to do this? The journey is so far. Uh, what about my favorite foods? Where am I going to get those? Or, and how is this going to work? And it's going to be miserable. And, but Melchior is set on his way. He's set to follow this star, to come to this newborn king. And so he sets out. He takes this next step. And he starts traveling. And his friend, at least in the movie, his name is Balthazar, one of the other magi, comes with him. And eventually, Gaspar, the, the most reluctant, the one who refused to come, he joins them too. And they begin traveling together to find this king, this Messiah. This one that they'd heard of through the scrolls, but also seen the signs in the heavens. And I started thinking about this, and I realized that all of us are on this journey to know God. Whether you're, this is your first time here, and if you are just in the beginning of trying to figure out who Jesus is, or whether you've been following him for years, for decades, we are all on this journey to God, to find this king again, this newborn king, this king of kings and lord of lords. I want to encourage us because this following Jesus is never, never do we arrive. Never do we, following Jesus, get to the place where we say, you know, I guess I'm good enough. I'm probably, God's probably pretty happy with me. We never get to that place. I mean, God loves us like crazy, but we never arrive. Sure, there are places of rest, and maybe there are places where, where we stop walking for a bit. But he's always calling us to follow him again. Always calling us to take this next step. That's why I wanted to encourage you this morning. As I'm reading this story, I've been reading about the Magi, I want to encourage you to take this next step. Because God has done great things. God has done amazing things. The first thing I realize is we're, as I've been working through this passage this last week, is that God is keeping his promises. As I look through the Old Testament now, I see God at work, busy, making promises, and keeping promises, especially in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, His Son. And we've been talking about this for the last few months here, about the promises that God has made. And we've weaved our way through the story of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham, that He would bless the nations through him, that He would give him a land, a home that would be His home forever. And we talked about how God rescued the people out of, out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, and brought them to Mount Sinai where he made another promise with them. That he would be their God and they would be his people. And then he gave them this law, it's called, but it's more like a guide of how to live, how to faithfully follow God. In a way that it would show the rest of the world what it looks like to be a follower of God. To be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not just for themselves, but to bring all the nations to God. And we came to the, to the, the promise that God made to his great King David promising David that he would never, that he would always have someone on his throne. That there would, one of his descendants would come and he would be a great king, greater than any king had ever, than he had ever imagined. That he would be king of kings and lord of lords. And then we watched as the prophets, after these promises, reminded the people. I think of Isaiah when he reminded the people that a shoot would come from the stump of Jesse. Basically, it's not over. 
even though you are going into exile, God is going to raise a great king out of the house of David. Or the, the words that he spoke through Jeremiah, his prophet. That God is going to make a new covenant that won't be like the old covenant. God's not going to write it on tablets of stone, but he's going to write it on our hearts. And then just last week, we remembered the words that Isaiah spoke again. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And it's in that particular, that particular prophetic word that Isaiah, when he says, all will come from Sheba. They will come bearing gifts of gold and frankincense, and they will proclaim the glory of the Lord. And we see the connection here with the Magi as they start to realize, as we start to realize who they are and what they represent as these, these foreigners coming in to worship God. Well, not only does that being fulfilled, but also maybe some of you might have recognized uh, when they said, when um, uh, Herod asked the, the, mag- or the, the priest, the chief priest, what, where's this Messiah going to come from? It's going to come from Bethlehem. You, Bethlehem, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For you will come, out of you will come a great king, and he will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Fulfilling the words the prophet Micah spoke hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. That God is fulfilling these promises. But there's two, especially two points that I wanted us to see this morning. We didn't, it's not part of the reading this morning, but Matthew, when he begins his gospel, he begins his gospel like this. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. That's the first sentence of his gospel. That's how he frames the whole thing. He wants us to see this connection between Jesus and David and Jesus and Abraham. Listen to these texts. This is the promise, or part of the promise that God spoke to Abraham. He said, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means great father, Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make you nations from you. And kings will come from you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God makes this amazing promise to Abraham. And I don't think Abraham had any idea how big it was going to be. What it was going to mean in Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, the Savior who would come into the world. That God has made an amazing promise to Abraham, and he is here filling it out, in Jesus. Right here, even at his birth, Jesus is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. Listen to another one. This is a promise that God made to the great King David. So God is speaking to to Nathan to, to relay on to David. He says, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who become who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then we have Magi coming to Jerusalem at the birth of Jesus saying, where is this king of the Jews? They bring royal gifts to celebrate this newborn king. That Jesus is this king that God has been talking about for hundreds, for thousands of years. Jesus is this king. But the thing is, he's not going to be a king like most of us expect as a king. He's going to be a different sort of king. He's going to be not a, not a military king, not a king who uses violence and power, but, but a servant king. A king who comes and serves and saves. I mean, think about this. The Magi, they see the star in the east and they come looking for this king. It says the first place they went was Jerusalem, which is like the capital city. It was where the temple was. It was where Herod and his palace was. So it makes sense. This is where they go. We're looking for the great king, so we're coming to the great city, to the place where everybody who's somebody is gathered. But Jesus was not born there. It takes the prophet or the, the chief priest to tell him, actually, no, we, we think the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Just a few kilometers away. So the Magi follow the star again and they find Jesus, not in a great palace, not with lots of wealth and stuff, but they find him in a manger. The lowliest of births, from the lowliest of births comes the greatest of kings. But they find Jesus in Bethlehem the rightful place where the king, where the, the son or this descendant of David would come from, this great king. And it speaks to us, even here in the beginning of Jesus' life, and, and those of you who have maybe read some of the Gospels, you know this carries out in his whole life, that Jesus came to be king, not, by, not the sort of king who, who takes over power uh, with violence and force, not a king of power, at least not in the violent sense, he's very powerful, but, but a king who comes with humility, a king who is king with faithfulness and sacrifice sacrificing everything to save his people. See, Jesus puts together these two images of servant and king in ways that, that few people understood in his day. That's why when people would ask him, you know, are you the Messiah? He was very cagey about how he answered that. He'd often refer to himself as the son of man, which the people understood. Often they, they, they were steeped in the, the writings of the people and one of the, the special writings about the son of man came from Daniel from a prophet who lived in Babylon, uh, a Jewish prophet who lived in Babylon hundreds of years before Jesus. And he talked about the Son of Man, this great Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. But Jesus took that image of Son of Man and he put it together with servant. The servant that Isaiah prophesied about, the servant of God. He put the two together, which people weren't really used to. In the ways that Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. It was just a, a completely new category people at that time. But Jesus is filling out this role of king and this role of servant and putting them together. 
Maybe some of you have heard this, this particular um, saying from the prophet Isaiah. He said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. For all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In this famous part of of Isaiah's uh, teaching, he talks about this servant who would come, who would save us by his wounds. And Jesus takes up this, he is this servant, but he's also this great king, and he puts the two together in ways that people at his time could barely understand. It's no surprise to me, then, that the Magi come and they bring gifts. It's no surprise to me that they bring gifts of gold because he is the king of kings. It's no surprise to me, then, that they bring frankincense, which, for those of you who don't know what frankincense is, I just found out just this last week, Tracy bought some, but it's, 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 a, it's an incense, it's a smell. Because he is the high priest over all priests. And they brought him myrrh for the sacrifice that he would make. Sacrificing everything. Suffering, dying on a cross, and then rising again that we might have life, that we might be made right with our Father in heaven. And then rising again to show us all that it's true and that he really is this Messiah. God has been filling out his promises. Promises he made to Abraham. Promises he made to the people at Sinai. Promises that he made to David. Promises that he spoke and reminded the people again through the prophets. God is filling out his promises. Fulfilling his promises in this newborn king. This child, Jesus of Nazareth. And because of Christ's faithfulness, because of Jesus' faithfulness, God is throwing open the doors of his kingdom. God is bringing in people we never expected. Bringing in people like us, even though we are not Jewish. God has thrown the doors open. He has made his mercy wide and he has brought in all the nations. And he has begun a new covenant. A new covenant that will not be like the old covenant that he made with Abraham, or sorry, that he made with Moses at Sinai, but a new covenant, not written on tablets of stone, but written on our hearts. A new covenant where God's Spirit would fill us. So no longer does our faithfulness, or no longer does our place with God, with God rely on our faithfulness, but it relies instead on God's faithfulness, on God's Spirit in us, making us a new creation. And this has changed everything. Everything has changed because of this new covenant. No longer do you need to become Jewish to be a part of God's family. No longer does it matter the type of foods you eat or don't eat. No longer does it matter the days you keep holy or don't keep holy. No longer does it matter if you're circumcised. Now what matters is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. And God's Holy Spirit present in us. I think sometimes, because most of us are Gentiles here. Most of us don't have any Jewish descent or any Jewish heritage in our families. And we take this for granted. How God has thrown the doors open and brought us into his people made us a part of his people. No longer, does it, no longer do we come right with God through, through our effort and achievement, but through grace, by faith. God has thrown the doors open. God has brought 
the nations into his people. He's included us before we had any right to be included. This is amazing news for us. And he's done this by starting this new covenant. And this new covenant is marked by grace made wide. By mercy made wide. I mean, think about the idea of magi. Now, most of us don't know what magi are. We know they came from the east, but magi, um, it's the, the, the root word we get is magician. Magi were people who, who worshipped or who looked at stars, like basically astrologers. They often worshipped other gods, anything but the one true God. These were the sort of people that the people of Israel loved to hate. <laughs> These were the bad guys. In some of the books of the Bible, it's these guys who square off against God's people. It's actually, it's actually Magi who are on the opposite side with, with Daniel when they're interpreting the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar or when they're uh, discerning the writing on the wall. These are the bad guys. These are the sort of guys that have no place in the kingdom of God. And yet, here they are. Here they are coming to worship God. Coming to worship the newborn king. Bringing gifts to him. It's amazing when you think of how far God's grace is opened. That would even include magi. People that, that up until that point, the people of Israel would have thought, these, places, these people have no place with God. These people are lost causes. These people are the sort of people that you want to walk around. You want to add days to your journey just to walk around their country. And yet here they are, worshiping God. Now, in one sense, this is encouraging for us, especially for those of us who have this deep sense that, man, I am never going to cut it with God. For those of us who have this deep sense, this deep understanding that, you know what, there are things that I've done in my life that I can't go back and change. There are things in my life that I've done that I am ashamed of and that I regret. But that doesn't keep us from God. These magi show us that no matter what we've done, no matter how bad it is, we can still come to our Father in Heaven. We can still come to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We can ask Him for forgiveness. Lord, please forgive me. And He is faithful to forgive. And with open arms, wraps us into this family of God again. So in one sense, these magi are, are encouraging but they're also challenging. Maybe they're challenging for some of us. Because these are the sort of people who don't look like church people. These are like tarot card readers and fortune tellers showing up in church. And they challenge us. Because the Magi don't dress like we dress. They don't talk like we talk. They don't know to do the things that we're supposed to do. They stretch us and yet here they are part of God's people challenging us to keep our understanding of God's grace as open as it truly is. To understand how wide God has made mercy. God has done amazing things. He has begun this new covenant that opens up the door for us to be a part of God's people. He has thrown open the doors and he has made mercy wide. It's amazing news for us. 
And I want to encourage you, regardless of where you're at in your life, God will guide you to take these next steps. These magi were guided by God. I don't know if this has ever occurred to any of you, but God was speaking their language. They were used to looking in the stars to know what God was doing or what gods were doing, and yet God uses that to bring them to his son, to their savior, and they worship him. God is guiding these guys through deserts and through wilderness to find his son. I want to encourage you, he will guide you too. He will guide you as you continue to follow him. Maybe you've been following him for years. He will guide you as you continue to follow him to take that next step. He will guide those of you who are here right now wondering, do I even want to follow Jesus? He will guide you in that next step. You're not going to have all the answers. Everything's not going to be figured out for you, but he will guide you in that next step. And you will jump onto this amazing adventure of following God, of following Jesus. You won't have the answers, but it will change you. It will change who you are. This amazing adventure of following Jesus. Some of you are okay, thinking, okay, so I get it. The Magi, God is guiding them. God will guide me. But what does this mean for my life right now? How does this affect what's happening with me right now this week? I want to encourage you to take this next step like these magi took the next step with God. Now, each of you are in your own place, and I realize that. For some of you, taking the next step means uh, joining into a small group or, 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 or redevoting yourself to your daily Bible readings. For some of you, that's your next step. For some of you, you're at your next step right, near, right now, just having shown up at church on Sunday. Maybe this is the next step for you. But God is encouraging you. He is guiding you to keep taking that next step. Because you're not going to have it all figured out. I mean, none of us can see what all this will mean for us. But God will guide us. He will be there, encouraging you to take that next step. There's a couple of things that are happening in, in the church here in the next few weeks. One of them, we're having a newcomer's gathering on January 12th. It's going to be right after the service. That might be your next step. There's a place to come and to get connected, to be encouraged, to understand like how we do things here and, and what we are concerned about doing and how we desire to help you grow in faith, how we desire to help each other follow Jesus more faithfully. We're also beginning small groups, or many of the small groups are starting up again or opening up again in the next few weeks. As a church, we believe this is one of God's primary ways of growing us in faith. When we gather together with other Christians, other followers, and we encourage each other, when we pray for each other, when we help each other, and we, we study God's word together, I want to encourage every one of you to be a part of a small group, to be a part of a group that gathers throughout the week to learn more about Jesus, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, we believe this is central to how God is forming us as followers. But I also, to, to break it down for you for this week, there's one thing. There's one thing I want you to do this week. I want you to take this, this next step this week. Is In your bulletins, you'll see there's a white sheet of paper. There's this white sheet, and it, it's basically the story of the Magi from Matthew chapter 2. Read this story again. 
and pray. That's it. Read the story again and pray, God, show me my next step. Read this story and pray. It's, it's as simple. Maybe you don't know much about praying yet. Do this simple thing. Just say, God, show me my next step. And he will be faithful to show you. God desires to answer this prayer, to show you his next step, to show you your next step, to be more connected with him. I get excited when I imagine us as a church taking this next step. Each of us together taking this next step. If we want to see more of us, more of this, more of people of our church growing in their relationship with Jesus, we need to take this next step. If we want to see God's kingdom flourishing in our community, people's lives being changed and transformed, we have to take this next step. Take this next step this week and draw a little bit closer to Jesus. Take this next step this week and step just a little bit further out of your comfort zone and into mission. Into encouraging your friends and neighbors, telling them about Jesus, maybe why you follow him. Take this next step this week. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with us as we take this next step, as we take this step together this week. Take this next step. Amen.